Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. Would turn in your Bible, Acts chapter 13. We are back in the book of Acts, continuing our conversation of what does it look like the gospel go to the ends of the earth? Acts chapter 13, verse 4 through 12. And if you don't have a Bible, we do have some pew Bibles around. Um, They are yours to use if you need, and also yours to take home. So Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 12, it reads, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Celestia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, arriving in Salamis, They proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphias, uh, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulius, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamas the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, uh, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elamis and said, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil, an enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You're going to be blind and you will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, we started our time in the book of Acts, picking up in chapter 13, and we saw what it looked like to be a Holy Spirit-filled church. Uh, I think the best way to put these two weeks together is yesterday, last week, we saw what it meant to be a Spirit-led church gathered. But today, we're diving into what does it look like to be Spirit-led missionaries, the scattered I don't know if you know this family, but when we leave this church every Sunday, when we leave this place of worship and being built up by the word, we are all sent out as missionaries to go into the world. We are going, everyone, to declare the goodness of his name, and everywhere we go, every place we live, every place that we set our feet, the Lord uses us to be ambassadors and to show off his glory. So as we look at what does it mean to be spirit-led, I believe it was a great way to start last week saying we should be people who are built up in a spirit-led church. But now what does it look like to be spirit-led missionaries? Uh, I'm going to set some railroad tracks for us to kind of drive on. It's the first railroad track is we must first start where, the familiar, where, where we're familiar before heading into the unknown. That's our first point. The second point will be 
we will come across false witnesses. Better, better yet, we will come across knockoffs. <laughs> and lastly, we will see God's power and mercy displayed. When we live as spirit-filled missionaries, we will experience and see these things firsthand. Now, what, is I, what am I talking about that we must first go to where it's familiar before going into the unknown? Let's look at verse 4 through 6 and see what happened when Paul and Barnabas were sent from the church of Antioch. It says, so seeing, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Cilicia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, arriving in the Salamis. They proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. And when they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphias, we're going to stop right there. We see this interesting thing taking place when they're sent out by the Spirit. In the wisdom of the Lord, he sends them to places that's very familiar to them first. Pay attention to verse 4. It says they went to Celestia. We don't know much about there, but we do know when they left there, they went to a place called Cyprus. If this doesn't sound familiar for you, uh, well, let me give you a little insight of why this is a a spirit-filled wisdom that they would go here. This is the the place where, where Barnabas is from. This is literally the country that Barnabas is from. When we're first introduced to Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, we're introduced to him as Joseph, a Levite, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement. So the first place that the Spirit leads his missionaries is first to their home country, Barnabas' home country. Then the next place that the Holy Spirit leads his missionaries is to the Jewish synagogues. Why would this be a familiar place? Well, who did he send? Saul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, one who is proficient in the law. So the very first two places that the Holy Spirit is leading his missionaries is to places they would be very well acquainted, acquainted with. Acquainted with. They would know these places very intimately and well. Can I put this out to you? Before we look to the ends of the earth to go spread the gospel, that God is going to send you to places you're very familiar with. He's first going to send you to go back to your family. He's going to first send you to go to your neighborhoods. He's going to send you to go to your school. He's going to send you all the places you kind of already got some skin in the game. I want you to know that if you can't go to the places that you're familiar with first, you will never preach the gospel outside of there. A lot of times we have this, we have this thought process thinking, once I get to this proverbial place, that's where I'll finally feel comfortable to preach the gospel. Where nobody knows me, where I don't have a name here, that's where I'll preach the gospel. But in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, that's not where he sent Paul and Barnabas. He said, no, no, I'm going to send you right back to the people that know you. I'm going to send you to Cyprus, the people that know your mama, your daddy, your cousin and them, the person, the ones that saw you grow up. I'm going to send you first to them so they will hear of you declaring, we have a good king that we serve. Secondly, I'm going to send you, Saul, Pharisees of Pharisees, as he called himself in 1 Corinthians, to the synagogue, to the Jewish synagogue, and these are the ones who know the laws, they know the teaching of the Torah. I'm going to tell you to go in there and declare Jesus as king. The Holy Spirit is wise in what he does. He sends them where they're known and what they know. 
Family, as we live as missionaries, being scattered from this place, living on mission from City of Refuge, uh, may I put this out there? Maybe you're called to just love your neighborhood well to love your neighbors, to love the neighborhood of this church, to love the people you meet at the gas station well, to love the people you meet at the grocery store well, to go everywhere you already got some skin in the game. Before having to go to the unknown places of the world where nobody knows you, maybe Christ is calling you first to go to those where you're known, where, where you're familiar even the fact that as they were going, John came along. This was possibly John Barnabas' cousin. This was a family member who came along to help declare the word of the Lord. Isn't it interesting? The first thing they did was go somewhere they knew. You know, I love talking to people who have uh, a romanticized ideal about missions about, man, I can't wait to go overseas. I can't wait to go to these places. And I love to have this conversation with them, like, cool, who are you discipling now? It's like, well, you know, you know, I don't really have anybody in my life to disciple right now. And, and my question for them is, if you don't have anybody to disciple right now, what makes you think you'll disciple somebody there? See, when they're doing is putting into practice in the places where they're familiar and comfortable. And what's interesting is we don't know if anybody in these places ever repented and believed. Isn't that interesting? It's that he, the first place the Spirit sends them is not necessarily the place where they're going to be very effective. Just a place where they'll be faithful. Just a place for them to kind of get into it and get used to declaring God, God's kingdom on earth and just portray it and, and display it on these places. He sent them there first. Places where it's uncomfortable, more than likely, they may be rejected. Places where many of us may be ashamed to go and preach the gospel because, well, they know my story. They know my background. They know what I've been through. They know what I've done in life. See, I think the Spirit has a wisdom in how he leads his church to live on mission for him. It's like, no, no, if you can't go to those who may not accept the gospel from you, but you're at least familiar and you're comfortable talking to, if you won't go to them first, you may never go to anyone else. I do have this question for those who may feel some type of shame when it comes to going to those places they're familiar with. What are you ashamed of? What are you afraid of? What, what keeps you from going to the place that you're familiar with? Is it because you're trying to hold on to them relationships and you're afraid that they won't receive you, that they will reject you? Is it because you believe they might not listen and that the gospel, they, and that might show that the gospel doesn't bear fruit? <clears throat> what exactly are you afraid of and ashamed of? See, Paul, he answers this question for us about how we should not be ashamed. We should not be afraid. He answers this in the book, in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why is he not ashamed? Because it, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. But Paul is saying, listen, I can't live ashamed of this thing and afraid to tell people about this thing because this is the only thing that actually brings life. 
This is the only way that many will experience salvation. This is the only way that people will know that Jesus is truly the king. For us who might be ashamed or afraid, let me tell you, this is the only way those you love, know, and you're familiar with will know. And God is empowering you if you are his as a Holy Spirit-filled missionary to go to those places you're familiar, to go back to those places, those relationships you're close to, and tell them about the power of salvation, about a king who came to save, a king who will draw them close to them. This is what it looks like to live as a Spirit-filled missionary. We must start where we're familiar before we head into the unknown. But I want to tell you, as you're starting where you're familiar, that doesn't mean you won't have problems come up. I want you to see what happened as Paul and Barnabas continues on and preached the gospel. In verse 6, it says, when they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphias, and the, and the way it says in the Greek is literally, it's like they left no stone unturned. They went everywhere. They went every corner of this island. And while they were going, they came across a sorcerer, a false prophet, a false Jew, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Family, I want you to know as you are living on mission and trying to be faithful to your king, you will come across many false witnesses. If you haven't come across a false witness yet, just continue to live faithful. Don't worry, they're coming. Bar-Jesus is quite an interesting character himself. He, uh, in one commentary, says that his name means either he's son of Jesus or son of Joshua. And the reason he calls himself this is so that he may claim to be the new Joshua promising to lead people into the promised land. Or maybe he's not saying that. Maybe he's claiming to be a follower of Jesus, but only to get a following for himself by his trickery. As you look at false witnesses, just pay attention to what they do. It's very similar to what uh, Bar-Jesus did. He attached himself to the proconsul in verse 7. Was with him everywhere he went. Why did he do that? Well, the proconsul was a man of much wealth and much power. And he's like, I want to stay close to you because I'm going to just keep feeding you these promises and you're going to keep feeding my pockets and we gonna, I'm going to live good. I don't know what's going to happen to you, but I'm going to be happy. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulius, an intelligent man. This wasn't a foolish man. I want you to understand, the false teachers we have in our day are not, they're not tricking ignorant people. A lot of times they're tricking very intelligent people. <laughs> but their words are very flattering. It even looks sometimes from the success that they put off that, man, God must be a part of this. But so this man, he summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But look what this false teacher did. But Elymas, the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn to the proconsul, uh, turn the proconsul away from the faith. Let me tell you, I'll give you an indicator between a faithful preacher, a faithful missionary, and a false preacher, false teacher. Faithful preachers and missionaries, they're not looking for glory for themselves. Let me tell you up front, if you ever decide City of Refuge is not the place I want to be, praise God, I have other churches where brothers and sisters are, I mean, brothers are preaching faithfully. 
and we have wonderful sisters that are making wonderful disciples all over our city. Because you know what? I'm not worrying about trying to make a rich name for myself. I don't care if my name is ever great. I just want my king to be on display. See, that's, and I pray that's the signs of a faithful preacher, that I point you to other faithful preachers and say, you can grow here. But the sign between a false prophet is they don't want you to go listen to anyone else. No, no, no. Don't go there. They won't tell you the truth of the Bible. They, they, but okay, where can I go? Well, you got to keep coming here. You got to keep coming here. I've actually heard testimonies of those who have left unhealthy and unfaithful churches where preachers said, well, they're, they're feeding a certain type of food there, but they're not feeding the food that we feed here. And when you ask them, okay, where can I go to hear the word besides you? Well, there's nobody out there really preaching the truth. You got to hear it here. Signs of a false teacher. They're in it for their namesake for them to be put on display, for their name to be made great, for them to be the only source of truth that you can hear. That's what Bar-Jesus was doing. That's what many false prophets today are doing. But see, we could see and we could take an example from Saul and Barnabas. They weren't worrying about their names. They're worrying about the king who was on display. Matter of fact, we have later on in the, in the book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I mean, chapter 3, verse 4 through 9, where Paul says, who is I? I'm just a vessel. Listen what he says when he was talking to this immature church that said, I can only listen to this person. In verse 4, he says, for whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward to his own labor, for we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul was saying, don't look to me as the source of life. I'm not the one. I'm trying to point you to the one. Who are these preachers but the ones that point you to him? Don't look at me as the one that has the source of life. I'm just telling you about the one who gives life. I'm not the only one who preaches. I'm not the only one who can feed. I'm not the only one who can care for you. But we are just vessels trying to be faithful, pointing to you to him as he grows you up. That's a sign of a faithful witness. That, that's a sign of a faithful missionary. Now, what does that look like for you? Well, as you go, you're not going out there because you just want to be like, I am the greatest evangelist in these streets. No, you're like, I just want people to know my king. And whether they hear the gospel from me or they hear the gospel from somebody else, as long as they hear the gospel and they are growing, praise God. For they are the ones that's benefiting, not us. We will get a reward if we're just faithful. But it's not for our own namesake. It's not for us to be put on billboards. Maybe one day some of us make it on a billboard. Praise God. But that should not be the aim we shoot for. Maybe one day we will have the clickable 
YouTube things that people want to see, but that's not the aim we shoot for. We just want our king to be displayed. That's what faithful witnesses do. But see, Bar-Jesus, he, what did he do? He stood against the gospel being preached. He literally came and opposed the gospel being preached. But here's the good news for those times when we face opposition, when people uh, stand against our preaching. We will see God's power and mercy put on full display. Look at what happened when they stood again, when Bar-Jesus stood against Barnabas and Saul. It says in verse 9, but Saul also called Paul, filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Stared straight at Elimus and said, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil. An enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight path of the Lord? Look now. Now look, the Lord's hands is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and darkness fell on him. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hands. Here's the beauty of God's word. It has power. It works. He works through his people and he will show that he is strong and mighty. He will show. This was not Paul saying, casting a curse on him, but he said, no, you actually are opposing God's hands, so God's hands will crush you. It's funny, it's almost like he was saying, since you're so blind to see what you're doing, God's going to blind you for a time so you can see the truth of who he is. He put God's power on full display. But I don't know if you caught it, there's a little bit of mercy here too. Look at verse 11. It says, now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. See, God was showing off his power and showing off his might, but he also was like, but Paul, remember how I was merciful to you? Remember that time when I closed your eyes? If you're not familiar with the story, it's in Acts chapter 9, verse 4 through 9. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but Paul was literally on his way to persecute Christians. Jesus came, a blinding light showed up. He fell off his horse, and then he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was like, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And when he went into the city, when he got up, he was completely blind. He had to be carried away like a powerless child. Paul casting this on this man, literally casting this judgment on this man, had showed both God's power, but also said, but God was merciful to me. So maybe he'll be merciful to you. See, Paul was the recipient of both seeing God's power, but also a recipient of God's grace. And even in the way he cast judgment on the sorcerer, he cast it with a little grace to it. Saying, you're going to be blind for a minute. We'll not see for a time. But see, I believe that time that he put there, that, that little bit of time that you're going to be blind is so that God can show him who he is, can show how strong and mighty he is and also how merciful he is also to this false teacher. 
as we live as spirit-filled missionaries and we go all to these familiar places and tell them about the goodness of our king and opposition stands against our king, when we preach his gospel faithfully, he shows up. He shows up. And even the ones he, that's in, in opposition against us, even the ones who stand against us, God is even going to use us to be merciful to them. Even when we cast judgment on them and tell them that you are standing against God. But we don't do this because we're like, we're so mighty, we're so great. No. We do this because we also were those who stood against God at one time. We also were those who had to experience God's wrath for just a touch of his wrath, a taste of his wrath, to understand the level of our sinfulness so that we could see we need to be redeemed. Saul was one who stood against God at one time. But instead of God crushing him, he judged him, made him taste a little bit of his power, but also say, but you can come to me now. And as missionaries, we are those who have both experienced, but also we've experienced the conviction of God, but we've also experienced his renewal. That's what makes a faithful, spirit-led missionary. Not somebody who just comes to church and hears good worship and knows all the truths, but somebody who's actually tasted and seen. How can we tell people of a good God unless we have experienced this good God firsthand? I, uh, I remember this story one time, a man was telling me how um, he had heard all these stories about how beautiful the Grand Canyon was, how majestic the Grand Canyon was, how, how wonderful it is, and he got really excited. But then the day he went to stand there, he said, I don't need to hear those stories anymore because I get to see it firsthand. I get to experience firsthand, and he was just awestruck, breath taken away saying those stories do not even match what I'm experiencing. I think that's what it should be like when we go forth prayer walking and living our everyday lives. As Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That go is not the action. That's just as you go, as you're at it, while you're at it, while you're at the gas station, while you're at the grocery store, while you're in the restaurant, while you're hanging out with family, while you're at it. Why don't you tell them about this great and wonderful king? But see, they can only hear your story so much, but when they experience it themselves, it changes everything. Maybe you today have only heard the stories of the greatness of God, only heard the stories of how wonderful this king is, but you haven't truly experienced them yet. It saddens me how many people have grown up in church their whole life, but never have tasted and seen the goodness that is his. Well, today we invite you to respond how the proconsul responded in verse 12. It says, then when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. If you are like the proconsul and have been blown away, like I've heard such wonderful things about him, but I haven't believed yet. We invite you today to say you can believe today. You can experience today. You can be astonished at him today. And you can leave this place as a missionary on fire, spirit-led, to go and tell everyone about the one that you have experienced. See, Saul experienced blindness so that he could experience mercy. Peter 
He rejected God, but he also received his renewal at the day after the resurrection of our Lord. And there might be many days when you have rejected God, but today you can experience his renewal if you want. So family, are you going to be led by the Spirit? Go where it's familiar to tell, him every, tell them everything about your king. Are you going to be one who has t- taste and seen? Are you going to be one that has confidence when knockoff shows off? And are you one who has taste and experience the conviction of God and the renewal that he offers? Will you pray with me? Father, <clears throat> I pray we live as your missionaries, as your people who have tasted and seen your goodness, that you would lead us to live as you want us to live, going where you want us to go, drawing us closer to yourself as we tell the rest of the world about your wonderful kingdom that is coming. Help us to live under your lordship. Help us to believe Believe that you are a good and wonderful king that draws close to broken places, to broken people, to make us whole so that we can be your royal priest, your ambassadors in this earth, and and even more importantly, your children. Lord, I pray that these words have fallen on our ears and that we hear your voice, that your word has spoken to us today, that it has shown your beauty to us today. Help us to be not just a spirit-led church gathered, but also spirit-led people scattered, declaring your goodness everywhere we go. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, we lift all these things up to you. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We stand and continue to worship with us.